Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to St. Matthew's this morning. It's great to see you. Now, Psalm 105 says this, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. Let's do that as we sing our first hymn together.
be seated. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you brought each one of us here this morning. As we gather in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, help us express our thanks and praise as we hear your word, as we sing of your glory, as we pray to you, and as we seek to encourage one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, welcome again to St Matthew's. It's great to see you all, uh, both those of you who are here this morning and those of you who are joining us online. Uh, it's really good to have everybody here. Uh, for those of you who are guests, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the ministers here, and we love having guests amongst us, so welcome again. Uh, we're here again this morning from the story of Esther. It was written two and a half thousand years ago, or at least about events from two, two and a half thousand years ago. And it's really a story about what the hidden God is doing behind the scenes at a time when his people are in great danger. And uh, what we find as we read uh, the book of Esther is great encouragement for ourselves because God, who was at work behind the scene in Esther's day, is the same yesterday, today and forever. He's with us today as we gather and every day. And he's with us especially during times of difficulty uh, a feature of our service this morning is we're, we're going to hear a lot of Bible. Altogether, there'll be four chapters of the Bible that we either read to one another or we hear read from the front. And the first of those readings is a psalm that we're going to read. We've actually got it to come on the screen, but I'm going to get us to hold the screen and get everyone to, to take up a Bible. And can you find Psalm 121? Psalm 121. Is there anyone who hasn't got a Bible near them? Okay, we've all got a Bible, so the page number is 616, and this is a favourite psalm for many, and it's not surprising. It's a psalm very relevant to our theme about, about the assurance of knowing that God is at work. It's the one that describes how God never sleeps or slumbers, because he's always watching over his people and providing protection for them. How are we going? We found Psalm 121. Okay, let's, uh, let's read this together. There's still a few pages shuffling, so we've all got it? Good. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Amen. Why don't you hold on to your Bible? Because before very long, Rhonda's going to come and read our first reading and she'll give you the page number for Esther 5. She'll be followed by Larry and then Bruce will read the rest of it as part of his talk this morning. Right now it's time just to share some announcements here from St Matthew's. And the first is particularly just to remind you of how useful these little cards are and particularly the QR code for communication here at St Matthew's. Uh, particularly, it's very easy for people who are, who've got challenges to fall between the cracks in a big church. 
uh, particularly if, if you would like some help, uh, or if you know someone who you think it would be good for the staff to know about that, with their permission, uh, you can let us know using the QR code. And for those of you who are new or visiting, it's a great way for you to let, let, you know, uh, let us know that you've been here, and we'd love to know that so that we can pass on a further greeting through the week. Uh, but um, make sure you make good use of those little cards. Uh, please feel free to take it home uh, if you don't have time to, um, uh, to connect in there during the service. Uh, there's a number of things starting up at St Matthew's in the next little while, and a really exciting feature of our life together in recent years has been the re-emergence of the Alpha course, which is really for you or for someone uh, you know who would like to look into the story of Jesus for themselves. Uh, if you've got questions around who Jesus is, where I fit with God, that kind of thing. Uh, Alpha is a really good course for exploring the Christian faith. Now that will start uh, mid-February on February the 14th on a Tuesday evening and there'll be eight successive uh, Tuesday evenings. It, it's a wonderful course. We've got a terrific team now who put on a meal and who host tables uh, where there's uh, opportunity for discussion and questions. It's the kind of place where you could bring questions that you have about God and Jesus and uh, know that there's no such thing as a dumb question. It's the kind of setting where if you prefer not to speak up and just listen to others, it's, uh, it's that sort of a safe place to be. So that's coming up soon and uh, you'll see the details um, uh, up on the screen there. The first night is really a great night, the launch night. It's the kind of thing where you could come along and just see whether it's for you with no obligation to, to stay. We won't chase you forever uh, trying to get you back. Uh, but the experience of many is they come the first night and they can't wait for, uh, for the second night. So that's coming up soon. Uh, also a reminder that our growth groups uh, will get going again in February. We mentioned this last week. If you're not familiar with our growth groups, a great feature of life together here at St Matthews, where there's an opportunity with others in a home uh, or here at the church building. We, we have, we have meet, meetings, evenings, mornings, uh, in all sorts of places, um, mixed groups, men's groups, women's groups. Um, but the, the heart of the groups is listening to God's word in the Bible and helping one another understand it, praying for one another, and more than praying for each other, praying for other things, and just getting to know others that you can provide encouragement for and receive encouragement for them. If you'd like to join a group, again, use the Connect card and get a, we'll get a message to Scott Petty, who coordinates those groups, and um, he'll find a group for you in the next little while. Bruce, we've got something else exciting coming up. Now, I know the week that everyone with bated breath looks forward to is coming very soon. It is, and if I can have that up, the week of prayer and fasting. I mean, you're all excited, aren't you? <laughs> now, I know that there is a sense of uh, apprehension, trepidation among some, and I totally get that. I have a love-hate relationship with this week. Uh, I would say it's one of our most important weeks, uh, but it's hard work fasting and praying. Uh, yet it is one of the most important things we do at the start of the year. And if I can just encourage you about this week, um, I've written some stuff in the weekly email and so I'd encourage you to go and have a look at that. If you don't get the weekly email, then let us know on the Connect Cards. We'd love to put you on that list. And I've got a handout there with uh, material I've written over past years, which you can download and read. 
but I think if I could sum it up this way, um, thanks Michelle, uh, what we're doing is giving up a good thing which is food and we need food to survive on and we are seeking the greater thing which is God. And in the Bible, prayers happen all through the Bible uh, without fasting, but you'll never see fasting without praying. They go together. And they are periods of time in the life of believers under God where we literally are doing this. We're giving up the good things and scripture encourages us to enjoy this world, to enjoy food, but we give up that good thing to seek the greater thing, which is God and his kingdom. And I always say at the start of each year, and forgive me for repeating myself for those who've been here many years, uh, we must start the year on our knees in prayer hungry for God and praying for his provision for us, his protection over us, and his power at work within us. And there's no more important thing I think we can do than to start the year this way by seeking God in prayer and fasting. And I'd love you to come down, and it's really interesting, uh, one verse that's always struck me, uh, if I can put up the next slide, thanks Michelle, is we went through in the Sermon on the Mount just at the end of last year, and when Jesus taught on um, numbers of, if I can say, spiritual practices, including giving to the poor, praying. He finished by talking about fasting and he said, when you fast, and it's interesting because his assumption was you would. And it was part and parcel, has always been, in terms of the life of believers under God, that there be times in their life where they need to seek God in prayer and fasting. And he said, when you fast, don't show off just seek the Lord quietly, and that's what we seek to do. Now, in the week that's coming, and it's on the uh, starting Monday week, uh, it's not tomorrow, uh, we've got daily prayer meetings that kick off uh, here at church at 7 in the morning. If you'd like to come and join me uh, and some of the staff and others, you're very welcome, 7 till 8, um, and then we will uh, have a cup of water afterwards. No breakfast those days. We also will have lunch prayer meetings from 12.30 to 1.30, and staff members will be here. On the Monday night, the 29th, we've got a special prayer night for family members who are not walking with the Lord. And we did this last year. It was a great time of praying. Uh, it could be children, it could be spouses, it could be uh, uh, siblings, you name it. If you want to come and pray or for parents, uh, this is a night where we just focus on praying for those closest to us who are not walking with the Lord and bring them before him. And then on the Wednesday night, which is the 1st of February, we've got a special night of prayer and praise that Dave Endoamana will be leading. That's it for me. I will say one last thing. Uh, do tune in on Australia Day to the concert on ABC, particularly at 9.21, uh, because Dave Endoamana becomes a citizen that day of Australia, which is great, and he is singing the national anthem at the Opera House. I will email everyone tomorrow with more details, but that's something to look forward to if you watch the Australia Day concert on ABC. Thanks, Andrew. We're going to take time now to come before the Lord in prayer. Uh, one of the things we'll be praying about is uh, our nation uh, in preparation for Australia Day. Uh, we'll also be praying for the youth camp, uh, which is beginning today. And there are some prayer notes that Stuart mentioned that are available if you didn't get them online. There's uh, copies of it on the, uh, a little table at the front if you're heading out for morning tea afterwards or at the back as you leave. 
Um, I certainly encourage you to be praying for, for our youth. We'll also be praying, I just heard this morning as um, uh, f- folks were arriving that, that one of our members, Jean Coulton, had a, a fairly significant injury to a finger yesterday as she was gardening and that needed surgery. Uh, she'll be in hospital for, for a few days, so we'll be praying for Jean and her recovery. In fact, I'll, I'll start our prayers with praying for our sister. Please bow your head at, heads as we pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for our dear sister Jean, for our fellowship with her over many years, for her faithfulness to you, and we pray for her as she recovers from this injury and the surgery. Uh, we, we thank you uh, that she had expert treatment, and uh, we pray for full recovery of the use of that finger. Uh, we, we also pray that she'd be aware of your presence with her and that this difficult experience for her will be just another opportunity for her to have a deeper understanding of your greatness and your goodness towards her. We pray that you would heal her completely. Amen. And Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your creation of this world, including this land of Australia. We praise you for its beauty, its bounty and its people. We praise you for the peoples to whom you first entrusted this land, each one made in your image and all loved by you. We lament the damage done to Indigenous people by later arrivals through theft, deceit, murder and greed. We pray that today you would help us close the gap in the provision of health, education, housing, justice and opportunity. We pray too that Indigenous people in this country may find their rightful place as citizens and that their voices would be heard in our society. We thank you that Australia has provided a new start for people from many countries in every generation. We especially praise you that many who arrived with few resources have been able to find education, training and employment and have enriched our common life. We praise you for faithful Christians who came to Australia, who continued in their faith, who prayed and read their Bibles, who lived to honour you, who loved their neighbours, who planted churches, and who worked for gospel growth in their own generation and for generations to come. Please forgive the people of Australia for our greed, our worship of money, possessions and comfort, and our neglect of you, your son, and your salvation. Please reform and revive your churches that we may be a shining light for our nation. May we serve you and your will for this country. May you bring many to saving faith in Christ. And Lord, please give us good government, wise policies, justice and equity, and the ability and wisdom to tackle the major long-term issues of our day. Please rid us of corruption, incompetence, selfishness, greed, self-indulgence and inequalities. And help us to contribute generously to our neighbouring nations and to our world. Please have mercy on all Australians and teach us to trust in your Son and our Saviour to love you, to love our neighbours. May your name be honoured in this land. May your kingdom come and your will be done. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord God, it's so exciting to be thanking you for the 88 young people who've registered for the Youth Summer Camp, which starts today. We thank you for Stuart Jansen, our Youth Minister, and his team, and for the extended opportunity they have from today through till Thursday to engage with you and with each other. We pray that all who attend will be deeply impacted by your spirit. We pray for rich times of fellowship in small groups that would forge strong and helpful friendships for the future. And we pray your blessing on and through the speaker, Josh Hayward, as he'll be teaching from the book of Ecclesiastes. We pray for safety for the youth through the week and that leaders would have wisdom, patience and stamina through the week. We pray this all to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We've got a chance to encourage one another and to praise God as we sing together, Lord of our life, God of our salvation, which is the collection hymn. Please stand.
Good morning. The next reading is from Esther chapter 5, and it's found on page 495 in the Church Bibles. And then Larry's going to read uh, Esther chapter 6. Just give you a moment to look that up. Continues on the story of Esther. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come, to a, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to a bank, banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king asked, again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I'll prepare for them. Then I'll answer the king's question. Haman went out that day, happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the kings had honoured him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I am the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. She has invited me, along with the king, tomorrow. And all this gives me no satisfaction, as long as I see the Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. His wife Zareth and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up, reaching to the height of 50 cubits, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then you can go to the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. That night, the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired 
to assassinate King Xerxes. What honour and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man that the king delights to honour? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honour than me? So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honour, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honour and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honour. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honour. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisers and his wife Zeresh said to him, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. morning again everyone let me pray father we thank you for this intriguing story and i do pray as we go through it that you would encourage us again that you are on the throne you are ruling and you're completely in control of this world and our lives and we can trust in you in jesus name amen well it's a new year getting underway and the question i want us to think about today is who actually rules the world if we can have that up thanks michelle who rules the world and it's interesting, you look at the way the world politics plays out. Um, president Biden is described as the leader of the free world, as the president of the United States. Uh, that title, no doubt, took somewhat of a hit in terms of uh, President Donald Trump's time. I won't say anything more, only to say that. Um, you've got President Xiaoping in China, and I think he would like to think he somewhat rules the world. Uh, and then you've got Putin, and I think the less said about him, the better. But at a personal level, do we actually think or believe that there is a God who is in charge of this world? Do we think that? 
Uh, one of the things I do is uh, just try and listen to what people say. I observe uh, people's everyday theology. You could call it the expressive culture of everyday life. Because all of us at some level have a practical belief about how this world runs. And it's fascinating when I hear people talk, and sometimes it's inside the church, sometimes it's outside the church, the way people describe reality. Here's two. Um, people will sometimes say they will do certain things or they think certain things because of karma. They don't want bad karma to come to them. And I think, what are they actually believing? Do they think there's some divine, impersonal force which is at work in the world to reward or judge what people have done. Because that's effectively what you're saying when you refer to that. Uh, another very common saying in our culture, uh, in the West, is people will say, touch wood, it's the one that annoys me the most. <laughs> and I hear it all the time. Someone will say, I've never had a speeding ticket, and then they'll say, touch wood. I'm not going to touch it because I don't believe in it. And I think to myself, do you really think touching that piece of wood is going to affect your speeding tickets? I think just slow down, that will affect your speeding tickets. But what we're reflecting when we say that is the world is somewhat chaotic, that it's really governed by chance. And you hope in some way by touching wood that somehow randomly you're going to be in a better place. And today I want to ask, is there a God behind the visible world who is invisibly ruling this world? Who's actually in charge? And it's a very important question because if you believe there is a God who is invisible but is ruling this visible world, it should change how you live. Absolutely. And that's the question we're going to come to again as we think about this intriguing story of Esther. Uh, if you've got your Bibles open, we're going to go through the story it is just a wonderful, engaging and intriguing story. We're going to look particularly at chapters 5 and we're going to finish up at 8, chapter 2. If you haven't joined us uh, before these uh, two weeks in January, it's your first week here in summer, uh, let me just say a couple of things about Esther to remind us. It's a story of survival for the people of God, the Jewish people in the Old Testament. It's set in the 5th century BC. It's in the Persian Empire. Israel has been exiled from their land and they are now under the control of the mighty and, if I can say, evil King Xerxes, who is somewhat of a despot. It's worth noting uh, there are four key characters. There's Esther in this section. She's the Jewish but queen of Persia. There's also Mordecai. He is Esther's uncle. These are the two Jews. Then you've got Xerxes, who's the ruler of the empire, and lastly, you've got Haman, who is the proud antagonist in the story. He is the bad guy. He's the guy, if we're sitting there, we go, boo, Haman's on the throne. So let's see. But there's also a couple of things to note about the narrative <clears throat> uh, in these sections, chapter 5 to 7. Uh, firstly, time slows down. So the first four chapters take place over nine years. The next three take place over two days which tells you that this is where the real action is. And secondly, these two days all focus on what happens in the place of power, the palace. <clears throat> and then thirdly, what we see is the hidden hand of God powerfully at work. Now, we've seen that already. 
what we've noted is the divine coincidences that keep happening. You see this in a greater way in these two days. And so what we've seen in the first four chapters is that even though God is not mentioned at all in Esther and is hidden in many ways, he's not absent. And his fingerprints are all over the story, but particularly these three chapters. So with that said, uh, let's start. And there's five main scenes in this section from 5 verse 1 through to 8 verse 2. And the first one I'm calling Faith-Filled Courage. And I've just got some of the key verses up on the screen. And so as we had read on chapter 5 verse 1, on the third day Esther put on her royal robes and she stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. This was a dangerous thing to do. You could only go in there if you were invited and if the king didn't want you there, literally you would be killed. And so with a great sense of courage, fueled by her faith in God and her desire to protect her people... She takes the step, having been encouraged by Mordecai in the previous chapter, to do this. And so the scene starts with Esther coming into the king's presence. She's fasted for three days. Good to note that as we go into a week of prayer and fasting. She's prayed up, I assume. She's dressed not seductively, but formally to address the king. Verse 3, the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it's going to be given to you. Now, the king's response to Esther is positive. And when he says, I'm going to give you half the kingdom, it was a saying in that day that says, I'm going to give you a positive response. I'm in a good mood. Why don't you try me and see what happens? And then verse 4. Well, if it pleases the king, Esther says, let the king together with Haman come to a banquet. And so she says, what I want to do is have this private gathering. I want you there. I want Haman there. And we're going to have a feast. We're going to eat. And a few things happen. Esther, Xerxes, the king, and Haman join together for a banquet as requested by Esther. They eat, they drink, and Xerxes repeats his statement that he's going to give half the kingdom. In other words, what is it that you want, Queen Esther? I'm going to give it to you. Now, for reasons we're not told, and in divine providence of God, she delays the request by a day. And says, let's have a second banquet tomorrow night. And I think she, is she afraid? We don't know. We're not told. But for whatever reason, she delays asking for a second day. But what we see in this opening scene is this endangered believer having faith in God for her protection that enabled her to go before the most powerful ruler of the visible world in that day. And it's a great reminder and example to be courageous in the face of human opposition and to trust that God will be with us when we seek to serve and honour him in our lives. Well, that's the first scene. The second scene really is a reflection of human pride. Haman goes away and what we see here is his heart. And it's very interesting in terms of Hebrew narrative uh, and narrative from that day and that culture you typically have the events spoken of, not the inner workings of people's hearts. But that's exactly what's on view. And so he returns home to his wife and friends and listen to what he says. It is galling. And if you wanted to say boo hiss, you could, okay? This is the bad guy, the antagonist. Verse 11. Haman boasted to his family, to his wife, about his vast wealth. I'm so rich. I've got many sons. And all the way the king had honoured him. He's now really in the second place of power. 
and how he'd been elevated above all the other nobles and officials. And that's not all. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet that she gave. And you can just see this pride welling up, which is blind to what's about to happen. It's quite humorous, uh, this story. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the gate. And as we saw in previous weeks, uh, the rivalry between Mordecai and Haman goes all the way back to King Saul. If you want to know more about that, ask me afterwards. But this was a deeply felt uh, enmity between the two of them. His wife, Zeresh, and all the friends said to him, well, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. The suggestion delighted Haman and he had the pole set up. Now, when it says 50 cubits, we're talking 22, 25 metres. Now, to give you a feel for it, look up at the top of the um, section there in the roof. I reckon that's about 15 metres tall. So we're talking about nearly another 10 metres on top of that. It's the most ridiculous, outlandish structure to put one head on. It just speaks of this arrogance and pride and hubris that is just galling. But also note, he wants to do it in the morning before the second banquet takes place. Before Esther will get a chance to request mercy from the king. Things do not look good for Mordecai. And then we get to the next chapter. And what are the chances of this event of the king not being able to sleep? It's astounding. So scene three is the hidden hand of God. Chapter six, verse one. That night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of the reign, his reign, to be brought in and read to him. And it's one of the most astounding coincidences. And you just have to say, you just see the fingerprints of God all over what takes place. And not just that um, Xerxes can't sleep. What does he do in his sleeplessness? He says, read to me about how great I am. <laughs> I mean, he's a despot, let's be honest. And so they read to him how great it was. And what is found, recorded there, and you have to realise, nine years have passed. And what's the event that gets read that night? About how Mordecai had been helpful to thwart an assassination attempt by Bigthana and Teresh. And the question comes from the king, well, what honour and recognition has Mordecai got? And if you remember back to the story in chapter 1 and 2, there was none. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. And you just think, what are the chances of this event? The odds are completely improbable and it just appears to be divinely inspired insomnia. Verse 4, chapter 6, the king said, well, who is in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court and you can just see the coincidences, the way they all play together. And what's Haman there for? Well, the antagonist, the boo. <laughs> He's there to literally try and bring Mordecai down. 
Who's there? Well, Haman, he's standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honour? Now, do you see the irony here? And the humour about what's taking place. Haman arrives thinking that the king wants to honour who? Him. Of course, he's the great Haman. (laughs) The rich one. The favoured one. Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honour than me? It's astounding. Haman's ego must have been enormous. And so he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honour. Let's have a think. Well, have them bring a royal robe that the king has actually worn and a, a horse that the king has actually ridden. And with a royal crest placed on his head, and you can just see him just pondering there, hmm, yeah, this, this, this is going to be great. Uh, then let the uh, robe and the horse be entrusted to the one, the king's most noble princes. Uh, let the robe, the man the king delights to honour, and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honour. You can just see home and thinking, oh, this is going to be so good. It's going to be unbelievable. I'm going to be going through the streets and everyone's just going to be going, you are the best. Now, what's worth noting is, you can see it's outrageous what he requests. To wear the king's robe, to ride the king's horse, to be led publicly around the streets in that manner. It was close as you could get to claiming the crown for yourself. And if the king had realised that Haman intended this for himself... It would have bordered on treason and he would have had his head cut off in an instance. And so you see these just deeply ironical and humorous words. Well, go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse. Do just as you suggested for Mordecai. (laughs) Can you imagine being there in the palace and just seeing Haman's face? (laughs) what? <laughs> Mordecai? <laughs> the, the Jew? The, the one who sits at the gate? And note what the king says, do not neglect anything you've recommended. It's, it's excellent what you recommended. Yes, do it all. <laughs> I just would have loved to have been a fly on the wall that day in the king's chambers. It would have just been hilarious to see it. Do it straight away. Do it all. Honour this great man. So Haman got the robe and the horse. And he robed Mordecai, his enemy. And Mordecai's on the horse and literally he's got to lead his enemy around the city. (laughs) It is just absurd. And he's got to say, this is what is done for the man who delights to honour him. You could just imagine him saying, this is what has got to be done to honour the man who honours the king. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And what we see here is best described as a transfiguration. One day Mordecai is just an ordinary, though righteous, follower of God. And his life is in grave danger as a member of the people of God. That's who he was. But the next day, because of the providential ruling of God, he is sitting at the right hand of God. I'm going to get to think about that at the end. Because on one day, death's door is facing him. 
And his greatness is not recognised until the providential action of God. And then the next day, he's exalted. And everyone knows him and his greatness. Well, afterward, verse 12, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Well, of course you did. He's devastated. Can you imagine that conversation? Darling, what? You would never guess what happened. And he's in tears, probably, thinking, oh, no. And his wife and his advisors said to him, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him and you will surely come to ruin. Yeah, thanks, wifey. While they were still talking to him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. What incredible timing. Come on, off you come, dinner's on. This is also hilarious. It's not just that Mordecai's been exalted, it's that Haman is now in great danger. There's this complete reversal of what's taken place literally in 24 hours, which leads to the fourth scene, the judgment of God. Chapter 7, verse 1, if you've got your Bible. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Three times he says, I'm going to do it for you, baby. It's another day, another banquet, another request. And for the third time, the king says he's going to grant the request. Then Queen Esther answered, Well, if I've found favour with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life, this is my petition, and spare my people, this is my request, for I and my people have been said, sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. And it's very interesting because she quotes here the exact words of Haman that he had requested of the king for the Jews back in chapters 1 to 4. Exact same words. Verse 5, King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, well, who is he? Where is he? The man who dared to do such a thing. And you can just see the steam is coming now out of this despotic ruler. You can imagine Haman quivering in his boots. Esther said, an adversary and enemy, this man Haman, this vile Haman, Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine and went out to his palace garden. But Haman, realising that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. If he'd gone out to see the king, he would have killed him. If he'd fled, he would have been killed. And so he thinks his best chance is to plead for mercy at the queen. He falls over and stumbles and the king comes back in and thinks, oh... He's trying to sexually assault my wife. That's it. Take his head off. (laughs) And that's the end of Haman. As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs, attending the king, said, a pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. How funny that. (laughs) He had set it up for Mordecai who spoke up to help the king. Then the king said, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. 
Esther spoke up, the king listened up, and Haman's head was lifted up. Which leads us to the last scene, chapter 8, verse 1 to 2. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the, of the king. For Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. It is one of the most stunning reversals that you will see. It all takes place literally over two days. And at the end of it, Haman is dead, his position is vacant, and Mordecai is proclaimed second in charge of the Persian Empire. The enemy of God's people has been removed, and the people of God have not just been rescued, they have been elevated. I want to stop and just get us to think for a couple of minutes, what do we learn from this intriguing story? And it is intriguing. And the, it's not the end of it, we'll see the end of it next week. There's always a kick in the tail in great stories. But the first thing I want to say is, this is the story of God's gospel. It prefigures what we see in the New Testament. The story of Esther foreshadows the story about Jesus. And as in Esther, the judgment of God will fall on human pride and hubris. Our world is filled with people who think they are better and stronger and wiser and do not need God and who will make it difficult for the people of God. We live in this era and this story reminds us that at just the right time, judgment will come to silence every mouth. God is opposed to the proud is what we read all through scripture and this story should remind us of that though he is invisible he rules the visible world and he is not to be opposed though he is unseen he is not absent God's judgment will fall on those who oppose him those who resist him, those who think they do not need him. But there's more to the story than that. These chapters remind us that there was another man who was righteous and who was also endangered in the time he lived in Israel. It's the Lord Jesus. And the stunning thing about the Lord Jesus is, and you see it in Mark's Gospel, from Mark chapter 3 at the very beginning... They were plotting to kill him. And all through his earthly ministry, there were those who wanted to do away with him. And the story of Mordecai is so similar to the story of the Lord Jesus, the righteous one who was opposed and who was endangered and who was relatively unknown in his day. And you think about the Lord Jesus, he was rejected not just by the religious leaders of his day, he was rejected by the Roman rulers of the day and even abandoned by his own friends on his last day. Before he was literally nailed to a cross. 
And there he faced actually the rejection of God himself as he bore the sins of the world and faced his wrath. Before on the third day, rising again to ascend to the right hand of God. And there is a day coming when his glory will be seen. And he will be exalted as the ruler over not just the Persian Empire, but all of this world. That day will come. And I know people ignore Jesus in this world. They think, oh yeah, he's good, but you know, we don't need to take him too seriously. But the day is coming when he will come back. And he will have all power and all authority and every knee will bow to him. And he will rescue those and save those who are waiting for him. It will be the great reversal of human history. That those who think they rule this world, be it their own small little fiefdom or those who are presidents and kings, they will all have to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus. And he will rescue only those who are waiting for him. And this story is such a great reminder of that. But it's also the story of God's rule. Though God is not seen, he is not absent. He is working powerfully in the background to sovereignly control all actions that take place in the world. And this should both challenge us and encourage us to have a confident faith and to live for him in the world, knowing that even though we can't see him, he is still at work and we can go out into the world every day confident that he will be at work. Even though we can't see him, we will see the way he will provide for us, he will protect us, he will empower us. And he will work in us and through us and in the circumstances that surround our lives. And it should give us a strength and a courage to honour him in all things. Be it in how we treat people, be it in how we deal with our money, be with it in our personal lives, in our sexuality, you name it, whatever are the controversial and the difficult areas, we need to honour God and be confident that he will be the one who will be in charge and will enable us to get through. Though he is not seen, he is not absent. The invisible one rules the visible world. And that is what we need to be confident in. And that his righteous one, the Lord Jesus, will one day return to rescue us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this great story that reminds us of your sovereignty over all things. May we trust our lives in you and live for you in this world, confident that you are in charge. Though you are unseen, we know you are not absent from our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
to share together in the Lord's Supper now, and you will need one of these little um, COVID-safe uh, communion packs. If you don't have one, would you like to raise your hand? And while they're being handed around, for the rest of us, can you find the little piece of bread there under the uh, clear covering there? And then uh, take the foil seal off so you've got the cup ready to drink, it, drink from it in a moment. I don't remember the line exactly from that hymn that we uh, sang, uh, but there was something there about every page, on every page of the scriptures, uh, the wonder of God is written. Uh, even in a book written about events that took place two and a half thousand years ago in the great empire of Persia. Uh, there in miniature, the reversals that we've read about this morning uh, picture the great reversal in history. Uh, just think about how, how low things must have felt as the disciples gathered with Jesus uh, the night before he went to the cross and he actually went to death. Uh, but their wonder, their joy, when they realised on the third day with the tomb empty and the angels explaining to them that he had risen. And he'd risen not just from the dead, but risen as the Christ, as the one to whom God would give the rule of all things and who would one day return to restore this world, to renew this world. And uh, with just that little bit of bread and just that tiny little cup, we've got an opportunity to take ourselves back to that, that time, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and in, in a very concrete way, as we take in the bread, as we drink the cup, uh, to remember all that was achieved in that great reversal. Uh, this is how the scriptures describe what took place. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So in a moment, we're going to share in the bread and in the cup. But first, let's come to God in confession of our sins, remembering what the scriptures say, 1 John 1 verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Please join me in this prayer of confession. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have often gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And hear this word of assurance from 1 John chapter 2. 
If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I'll lead us in a prayer of thanks. We thank you, our Father, that in your love and mercy, you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our salvation. By this offering of himself once and for all time, Jesus made a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Hear us, merciful Father, and grant that we who receive these gifts of your creation, this bread and this wine, according to our Saviour's command, in remembrance of his suffering and death, may be spiritually partakers of his body and blood. Amen. So let's take and eat this bread in remembrance that Christ died for us and feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Let's drink from the cup, remembering the blood of Christ that was shed for us, and be thankful. Will you join me in this prayer of thanksgiving and dedication? Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us in this hope that we have grasped so we and all your children shall be free and the whole earth live to praise your name. Amen. Well, that all but completes our service today. Just a few reminders about things coming up at St Matthew's. It's time to plan ahead for the prayer and fasting week. But to plan ahead about inviting someone along to the Alpha course uh, to uh, let Scott know you'd like to join a growth group. Uh, this week is a week to be praying for our youth camp. And as I said, there are copies of the notes that Stuart's prepared for each day that they're away. There's some on the little table here at the back and more, sorry, at the front and more at the back. But just a reminder too of what we've heard from God's word today about the hidden God, not seen, but not absent. And it's really, so, really more obvious than in the great reversal that we've read about this morning, back in the day of Esther and Mordecai and Xerxes and Haman. The hidden God not seen, not absent, a God who is with us today, not slumbering, not sleeping, but protecting his people and providing for us. We can trust him and we want to live for him to honour the one who loves us as much as he does. So as we close, I'll ask you to stand as 
Have we got the words of the grace there, Michelle? Yes, let's, let's stand and um, we'll entrust one another to God's care as we say the grace together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Please join us for morning tea across the courtyard in the function room. Thank you.